Hello, this is Pastor John Willingham of Doralstown Presbyterian Church. As our podcast audience continues to grow, I want to thank our loyal listeners and welcome those who may have just recently found us. We know that life can quickly become busy, so this podcast offers an on-the-go opportunity to hear a Sunday sermon along with the scripture lesson read by that day's lay leader or preacher. We also encourage you to visit our website at dtownpc.org to learn more about our church and all of our diverse ministries. Thank you for tuning in. Our New Testament reading comes from the Acts of the Apostles. We're reading from the 18th chapter, beginning with the 24th verse. Now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught according to the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. And when he wished to cross over to Achaia, the believers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. On his arrival, he greatly helped those who through grace had become believers. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Messiah is Jesus. Let us pray. We give thanks, O God, for your living word to us and pray that once again you will send your spirit so that we might hear the word that you intend and be strengthened to respond in ways that bring you glory and honor. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. A number of years ago, I read a story about a visitor to the office of Alex Haley, the writer of the last century best known for his work, Roots. On the wall, there was apparently an unusual photograph, and it depicted a turtle sitting atop a stump. The stranger, of course, was curious about that, and he asked Haley to why it was there. And the author explained that it was a reminder for him of, of humility, always to be humble. As he went on to say, anytime you see a turtle on top of a stump, you know he got some help. <laughs> the two scripture readings this morning affirm that to be God's intention for human beings as well. A reading from Genesis tells of the second account of creation and describing how in referencing the one human that walked the earth in that time, that God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him as his partner. As the narrative goes on, it describes how God then creates all of the animals of the world and gives this man an opportunity to name them. But after it was concluded, said that there was not found a partner suitable as a helper for the man. And thus he created the first woman. A reading from Acts tells of a talented and faithful Christian named Apollos. 
He apparently knew the scriptures well and was an eloquent speaker. He went to the believers in Ephesus and was warmly received there, and yet there were apparently some gaps in his knowledge. And so a couple in that congregation, Priscilla and Aquila, took him aside and filled him in on other things that he needed to know. And it was soon thereafter that the man felt a call to leave and to go to another community. And the believers in Ephesus wrote a letter to the church in Achaia, encouraging them to welcome him. And we are told that on his arrival, he greatly helped those who through grace had become believers. As I was anticipating this morning with its final sermon as an installed pastor, I felt myself led to both of those passages because they speak in a very clear sense of how all of us are the beneficiaries of the help of others. And for me in particular, as I arrive at this moment, I'm aware of literally thousands of people who have played that kind of role for me in my vocational life. When I first began working on this sermon, I was going to entitle it The Turtle, after Haley's insight, but I kept thinking about those Teenage Mutant Ninja variety. <laughs> and so I decided instead, knowing that my focus was gonna be on all of you to call it the helpers. And on this day, would like to tell you just of a few of the individuals over the years who have had that impact on me. As a economics major at Davidson, when I graduated in 1980, my goal was to climb the corporate ladder, and I was honored to receive a job with Southern Bell, then part of AT&T, then the largest company in the world. It was about 18 months into that work, though, that I realized how unhappy I was, but didn't know what to do about it. So I began considering all kinds of other options, and eventually came to recognize the fact that my happiest times of every week were Sunday morning when I was gathered with the fellow members at the Shelby Presbyterian Church, and then on Wednesday nights when I would come back to be with them for dinner and a program. The more I pondered that, the more I began to wonder if God, in fact, was calling me into the ministry. And once I accepted that as a, a, a conviction, I went to talk first with my pastor and then with my father. Dad was also a Presbyterian minister. And as I sat with him in his office that day, he listened carefully, asked good questions, as he always did. But the only thing I remember is how, as we were winding down, he shared how my oldest brother, Ed, a year earlier, knowing how unhappy I was with my work, had said to my dad, I just think John needs to realize he should become a minister. Now, Ed never said that to me, <laughs> but actually that was helpful because in that moment, when I heard of someone who'd literally known me all my life recognize that before I had claimed it for myself, it became a great word of affirmation. And so began the process of trying to figure out where I was gonna pursue my studies. 
Dad was a graduate of Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia, a suburb of Atlanta. And he did not hide the fact he wanted me to go to his alma mater. <laughs> I knew he was getting desperate, though, when he said to me one day, well, if you go to Columbia, you can see the Braves play more often. <laughs> he came to visit me the next year in Princeton. <laughs> Met some of my friends, went to a few of my classes, and as he was leaving, he was quiet for a second, and he said, you know how much I wanted you to go to Columbia, but after being here and seeing what you're experiencing, if I had to make the same choice again, I would make the same one you did. It was the next February that our father died suddenly of a heart attack at age 57. I am confident in saying that for all of my siblings, as was true for me, it was an experience of grief we had never known before. And yet for me, on top of that, it became a faith crisis. I had so looked forward to sharing a vocation with my father. To have this sudden loss, I began to wonder if I had misunderstood God's call. I almost dropped out of seminary. I wouldn't say that I ever stopped believing in God, but it's accurate to say that for a time we weren't on talk, talking terms. So I had finished about half of the seminary requirements and decided that instead of just dropping out, I would conclude that year and then participate in a year-long internship at the Gregory Memorial Presbyterian Church of Prince George, Virginia. And I went there deciding if they felt the same way after the end of the year, I wouldn't go back to seminary. Well, my presence here this morning certainly <laughs> takes away the mystery of that whole experience. But it was during those 12 months that I had the opportunity to engage in all the kinds of acts that ministers do. Sharing worship leadership every week, preaching once a month, visiting in hospitals, in homes, uh, sitting in on session and staff meetings. My primary work there, though, was overseeing three youth groups. In September of that year, I took the oldest teens to Virginia Beach for the weekend, along with some other leaders. It was a great weekend until the last night. For due to a combination of my trusting nature and lack of supervision, when joined with the unbelievable generosity of a local boy who decided to buy beer for our girls, <laughs> the result was really problematic. As, as Providence would have it, the next night the session of that congregation was meeting and the pastor I was working with had urged me to share the story and so I did. With great candor, I apologized for my lack of supervision uh, and then the room went silent. I was sitting there wondering what I was going to do in the next few months before I went back for the second semester at Princeton because I was sure I was going to lose my job. And the silence was broken by an elder named Don Danielson who said, I make a motion that we extend a vote of confidence to John in his work with our youth. Now, as a lifelong break, break, baseball fan, I knew that whenever a beleaguered manager got a vote of confidence from ownership, 
that that meant he was about to be fired. <laughs> but that experience was one of complete grace. And I'm here to tell you, after hundreds of session meetings since, that motion is still my all-time favorite. <laughs> after I finished that year, I went to Phoenix to take part in something called clinical pastoral education which is a kind of hospital chaplaincy program. And I returned from there for my last year at Princeton with the woman who would change my life. That fall, Lori and I flew to Kentucky to participate in the ordination of a friend who had graduated the year while I was away. It was at the lunch afterwards that the pastor with whom he would be working said, I have one piece of advice for you. Whenever you speak on the floor of a presbytery, Remember that there are all kinds of people watching, and some of them could have an influence on your future, so be careful about what you say. I paid attention to his counsel, but I can confidently say, after having served in three presbyteries, that not all my colleagues got the same advice. <laughs> or if they did, they chose not to pay attention to it. It was also part of that same gathering that I met the Associate Presbytery Executive who told me to pass along my personal information form, and that was how I was introduced to the First Presbyterian Church of Mount Sterling, Kentucky. Coming there directly out of seminary, that very patient congregation experienced the first of everything in my career. First sermon, first session meetings, first baptism, first stewardship campaigns, first hospital visits as a pastor, first funerals. Certainly the most important event that happened during our years there were the birth and baptism of our children. And yet there are other ways that that congregation helped me immensely. One came after I had officiated at a wedding where I was deeply concerned about the safety because the side door had been blocked and I was concerned about some of the components of that ceremony too. So on my own, I developed a wedding policy. And I presented it to the session for their approval and discussion. That mostly male group of officers thought it was okay. Uh, but I soon learned that other brides-to-be and their families did not. And yet that experience ultimately helped me as it reminded me that when there are big decisions to be made, you need to bring others into the conversation early. It was also in Mount Sterling that I preached a sermon the first Sunday after the first Gulf War had broken out. And I got positive feedback on it. And so the next Sunday, the war was still ongoing, so I preached about it again. And afterwards, a 75-year-old saint in the congregation named Mary Oldham came up to her 31-year-old pastor and said, there are other important things we need to hear about, too. I never forgot that. And so on the second Sunday after 9-11, I preached on something else. After nearly five years there, we received a call to the Matthews Presbyterian Church of Matthews, North Carolina. For most of my tenure there, I served alongside a woman named Jan Mackey, whose official title was church secretary. 
But Jan had an influence and reach much broader than that. She really became my right-hand person. With Jan, I always knew to pay extra close attention when she'd introduce her words by saying, you might want to know, <laughs> and then proceed to tell me about some parishioner who was ill or upset, about some rumblings in the pew, or about some recent parking lot meeting. Whenever I acted upon what Jan shared with me, it took care of the situation and kept it from growing in significance. And I've had staff members here who have offered me the same gift. The church grew rapidly while we were in Matthews, and we developed plans for expansion. When we went to present those to the Matthews Town Council, things were sailing along until a neighbor of the church stood up and said, I don't know anything about these plans. And upon hearing that, the mayor stopped the proceedings, told us that we were not to come back until we'd had a meeting with the neighbors. So we had that meeting. I, I think that one man was the only one who came to it. But when we went back to the town council, everything passed quickly. But I never forgot about that. And so when we were engaged in our renovation effort here, too, I made sure that we met with our neighbors before we went to the borough council for approval. And it was at that meeting that one of the neighbors said, well, when I first heard you were gonna build a bridge, I thought, there's no way I'm gonna allow that to happen. But then I saw how beautiful it is. And another neighbor who lived here on Mechanic Street, just down to my left, who was a former borough council member said, you know the best thing I like about that bridge? It blocks my view of that ugly courthouse. <laughs> It was during our Matthews years that our children were confirmed. And yet after 10 and a half years, we received a call to come here. It's impossible for me to enumerate all the ways that you have blessed my family and me over these years. My sermon last week focused exclusively on these 20 years together. Uh, and so I just want to name two of the ways uh, that you helped. One came ironically when my pastoral honeymoon here ended. It happened in that first year, as the session approved with my encouragement, a change in our Sunday morning worship schedule. When I came here, there were three worship services, and the middle one was concurrent with our church school hour. But I noticed early on that very few children or teenagers ever came to worship, very few adults, were every part, ever part of their educational offerings. And with three services, it meant that I couldn't teach much on Sunday mornings. It's for all those reasons that I fully supported that decision and, and still do. But I think it's fair to say that when news went out in this congregation, that decision was not universally praised. And yet, even with that, even that moment helped me as it demonstrated how in a congregation our size, we have to over-communicate for people to understand and to be part of that conversation. 
It was also during our 20 years that one member of the pastor nominating committee here, about every six months or so, would take me to lunch, and his first question was always the same. On a scale of one to 10, how are things going? It was during our years here that both of our children fell in love and met their life's partner, and I was privileged to officiate at their weddings, one here in the sanctuary and a COVID-era one on Mechanics Street. And in the years that followed, have been blessed with being the officiant at the baptism of all four of our grandchildren. While all of those years were going on, there were huge technological changes happening in our world. During my last year in college, I took a course in computer program, programming. It lasted half of a quarter, because that's all they had to teach us. <laughs> the first year I went to seminary was the same year the internet was invented. And it was during my last year in college that I took the train, last year in seminary, that I took the train to New York City and purchased my first computer, a so-called portable device that weighed 29 pounds <laughs> and had a nine-inch display. It was six months into our time in Matthews that the internet became available to the public, and I can still remember reading in the paper about a Methodist church in Charlotte that was the first one in the area to have a website. And I thought to myself at the time, what would a church ever do with a website? <laughs> I had people who helped me know and answered other questions about technological tools that came along, most frequently being our children, and it was really one of the high points of that whole time of discovery for me that happened here a few years ago when I made reference to Venmo, that cash payment service, and my three staff members under the age of 30 said, what's Venmo? That was a sweet day. <laughs> It was, it was not the only way, of course, that our children helped me over the years. Uh, you probably have heard of the reputation for preacher's kids, and I think that's often well-deserved uh, as young people who grow up in that setting and under that spotlight will find well, ways to rebel and resist the expectation somehow that they, they be perfect. Uh, I can look back on the five Willinghams that grew up in the 1960s and 70s and say that at least one of them <laughs> added to that reputation. I'm talking about myself. <laughs> However, if there's any confession needed by the rest, that's, you, you have your moment for that as well. But, but I can honestly say that our two children never really did that. As best I can tell, they rarely complained about the demands of church life on our home. Uh, seemed to understand it was so, certainly just part of the gig and maybe appreciated the flexibility that I had at other times during the week to be part of their activities and events. And I don't really remember them ever really objecting strongly when, as a sermon illustration, I told some story about them. And yet, more than what they did not do, there are ways that our two children helped me, and likely in moments they don't even remember. One came in Matthews when Michael was about six, 
We had just started a softball team, and Michael served as the bat boy. He loved that experience, hanging out with the players and being in the midst of all of the action. And there was one Sunday in, early in that season when Lori told me later that the three of them had walked into the sanctuary, and Michael said, look, there's the catcher. <laughs> and then spotted other people, knowing them by their position and not by their name, but then there began this pattern that on Sundays when I would walk in the sanctuary, I would see Lori and Emsley sitting together, and I have to scan the room to find Michael, because he was often sitting with one of the softball players, happily chatting about the most recent game. And I've told that story many times over the years to parents who are having their child baptized to name what we want for their child, too, in a community of faith. One of the many ways that Emsley helped me happened during her last year at CB South when I said to her one day, what are your friends hearing about college acceptances? And she said to me, Dad, only adults ask that. <laughs> My friends and I don't talk about those things. And I learned from that, and never again did I ask a senior to share what their news was, waiting always for them to share it with me. And certainly, it was during all of these years that Lori has been an incredible partner for me. She got a crash course in what ministry would look like in June of 1987. I graduated on the first. We moved our meager belongings from Princeton to the manse in Mount Sterling. We left there to go to our wedding in Prince George. We departed from there for our honeymoon, first in Williamsburg and then in Kitty Hawk. I drove from the Outer Banks back for the, my examination on the floor of the Presbytery of Transylvania, and we left that meeting to complete our honeymoon at one of the Kentucky State Parks, and I started my first pastorate on July 1st. Lori has been an incredible partner in ministry from the beginning. My best listener, my fiercest defender, my most candid truth teller, and most observant one about what's happening in the lives of parishioners that I have missed. God said long ago, I will make him a helper as his partner, and for me, that has been beyond compare, one Lori Guilford. In sum, my life has been one of being helped beyond anything I deserve, by family and friends, by parishioners and presbyteries, by colleagues and by church officers, by staff and strangers. And I hope that at some point along the way, maybe I offered a bit of help to you. I say that not as a bit of false modesty, but rather in response to something a ninth grader said here in 2003. We had moved here during the summer, which meant that that fall was the first time that our children went to Sunday school. And it was soon after that had begun that Michael's teacher came up to me and told me that that day they had gone around introducing themselves, and after Michael had introduced him himself, um, the teacher said, this is Dr. Willingham's son. 
And a peer turned to him and said, your father's a doctor? <laughs> and my firstborn replied, not the kind of doctor who helps people. <laughs> if nothing else, parenting is a humbling experience. <laughs> I'll let it, leave it up to you to decide whether that, in fact, represents your experience. But on this day, I am here to say to you, I've been helped by all of you and all of you. And all of you, and all of you, in a way far beyond anything I ever imagined possible. And for that gift that made me a much stronger disciple of Jesus Christ and a more faithful pastor than I ever imagined possible, I simply say, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, our Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning's new mercies we see. All we have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto us. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Once again, I invite you to check out dtownpc.org for information about our worship and programming for all ages.